0: Welcome to Love Letters to Planet Earth. I'm your host, Tessa Antela. This is a podcast for anyone who is worried about the state of our planet and wants to connect with others around our shared fears, anxiety, and grief. How do we learn to restore our kinship with nature, foster emotional resiliency, and find joy in this moment of planetary change? This is a space for us to practice how to learn unravel and rebuild together. Thank you so much for joining me here. Today on Love Letters to Planet Earth, we have Sharon Day with us. Sharon is a cornerstone in the Minneapolis community. She's a planetary grandmother and has been doing planetary intersectional work long before anyone called it this. She's a member of the Boys Fort Ojibwe tribe and founder and director of the Indigenous Peoples Task Force. She's a playwright, a writer, and began the Nibi Water Walks in 2013, where she continues to organize people to walk along waterways to pray for and lovingly connect to the water that flows across our country. These walks are one of the many ways she is in an intimate relationship with nature, and it's how she shows her care for this planet. Her work is to help life regenerate and thrive. She models planetary health and offers an example of how we as humans can practice tending to the story of regenerative life in our shared and unique moment in time. Sharon, thanks so much for being on the show. I just want to start with how it is clear how much you love water. Not just as something that sustains life and needs to be kept clean for our benefit, but as someone you love and care for deeply. This is not how our mainstream culture teaches us to relate to water or nature, even though we're both. How did you come to feel this closeness and kinship to nature, and how have you found an intimate friendship with water?
1: Um, Well, I grew up in northern Minnesota, and, um, um, and our family did a lot of things together Outside, um, and, you know, we picked strawberries and blueberries together, and harvested wild rice in the fall. I think just, you know, growing growing up in the country, um, you know that made a that made a big difference. And uh, we had a well um, that was in the field. And you know, every morning, my older sister, I would walk with her to go get the water. And um, every evening, and you know, when you haul your water every day, like you, you know exactly how much you use, and you use it more than once. And um, you know, a vivid uh, memory for me is. Um, it was in the winter, and uh, the snow had a, a crust on top of it, and it was sparkling. And my sister and I and one of my brothers, we, we went to get the water. And um, when we were getting the water, uh, the northern lights came. And I, I asked my sister, you know, what are those? lights and she's told me um, you know their their spirits dancing in the sky and uh, you know we continued to um, you know walk you could hear the crunch crunch on top of the snow and um, you know that was um, that's just a memory that's always um, stuck with me um, but, you know, when you grow up in the country, you see um, so many things differently. Um, you know, you notice the buds coming out on the trees, and there was a spring behind a house that we didn't have a refrigerator, so um, that spring was like the refrigerator. You know, you put the the butter in a plastic container and put it down in the, in the spring, so it would stay... Mm -hmm. stay cold and um, you know uh, um, when I was uh, 12 every day I had to cut a tree down for the wood stove my dad was gone that year and um, you know cutting a tree every day chopping it up, hauling it in Mm -hmm. hauling in snow in the winter to put on the stove for my mom to have water to wash our clothes you know, just those daily kind of things that, that had to be done. Um, I think, you know, in, at, at such a young age, it really gave me kind of a purpose. And then when I moved to, um, you know, as an adult, um, I lived in Highland Park in St. Paul for almost all of my adult life. And, so I'd walk along the Mississippi River, and, um, and of course, I crisscrossed it many times a day, at least twice, you know, to work in Minneapolis and back home. And, and um, you know, you develop a, a relationship with your surroundings. The little house I lived in in St. Paul um, that I bought in Highland Park. Um, that was a little, just a, a small city lot. And, um, but we, we took care of that, um, land. And, um, by the time I, I moved off the block, almost everybody, um, in the block, um, we never used any kind of, um, chemicals on our lawn or, mm-hmm. and by the time we, we moved, um, most of the people on our block did not use anything anymore either. So, um, you know, we took care of that little piece of land and right down below us was Hidden Falls Regional Park. And, um, you know, I raised my grandson, my oldest grandson, and we had most of his birthday parties um, down in that park. and um, You know, that also became sort of um, you know, such an important um, part of our life, Hidden Falls. And, and for the last um, 10 years, um, you know, there's a water ceremony down at Hidden Falls every Sunday. And occasionally when, you know, people come to town and artists, directors, um, folks like that come to town, they want to have a water ceremony, they want to have some kind of activity, you know, we go down at Hidden Falls. And so that was, uh, you know, um, a place that I that I loved, had a long relationship with, and still do. And um, and then a couple of years ago, I look, took a piece look at a piece of land here um, where I live in the Chisago Lakes area, and mm-hmm. um, fell in love with it. And so, uh, so. Um, You know, and I live in an area where there's a chain of lakes. And, you know, in Minnesota, I don't know any Minnesotan who is not somehow connected to some waterway, some lake, some, you know, because we have so many.
0: Yeah. So, Sharon, I'm just, I'm really hearing that, I mean, you had to work for your water. You had to work for your heat growing up, being, you know, so dependent on nature. And that gave you an appreciation that a lot of us don't always have an opportunity to grow. Uh, Sharon, what do you suggest for people that didn't grow up the way that you did and are feeling really disconnected but want to reconnect? Where do you suggest they start?
1: Uh, One of the things, you know, like I ask people to do is you know, every morning when they get up or sometime during the day, you know, when they drink a glass of water to, you know, consider where that water came from mm-hmm. and to say, um, uh, thank you, Miigwech uh, to that, to that water, that that water, um, you know, that you're going to put inside yourself to replenish. Um, you know, we each have about eight gallons of water inside our body. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Um, We replenish that water when we drink, uh, replenish some of that uh, water. And so to really begin to be connected to yourself, Mm -hmm. um, we are water. We are composed of water and minerals and and nutrients and I don't know how many million cells in our body. Each one of those cells holds water. Mm -hmm. And um, so... uh, you know to, to when you take a drink of that water to know that you know you're replenishing that body of water that lives inside of you and then you know what we do on the water walks is really i think that's the most important thing is people get reconnected with when you walk along a river for ten days or thirty days or sixty mm-hmm. days um, you come to know that river and um you're connected to that river and so but you're also connected to to the wind, you know when you're walking I ask people to be silent. And so when they're when you're not listening to yourself or listening to somebody else um, or you know to endless um, sound and then you can hear the, the elements and you can hear, um you can hear the wind and um, the rustle of the leaves and um, the songbirds or the screech of a hawk calling to you um or to the whinny of a, of a horse. Um, when they see us coming, you know horses they they pay attention um I've had horses run up to where is clo- to get to as close to me as possible and and call and dance in a circle. Mm-hmm. And then come to as far, follow me as far as I can and call again and dance in another circle. And, you know, I think, um, you know, even the animals, you know, the animals especially recognize when something um, sacred is happening. And, um, you know, they're paying attention to that eagle. Uh, Feather staff that we're carrying, they're paying attention to the water that we're carrying. And so, you know, when people walk and slow down, um, you know, and they can see and hear um, all of these things that otherwise it's just that you're driving the country. It's just a whiz, you know, you don't see anything, you don't hear anything, you're just watching the road and listening to the radio
0: yes yes really disconnected and encapsulated and divided from nature instead of connected to it i really like to hear how you talked about your city lot you know i'm 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 really interested in how we connect with urban nature because many of us live in an urban setting and i've i've heard a lot of people say well i got to get out to nature or, i've got to leave the city and um and i feel pretty protected Protective over city nature too, and I think you know there's a huge opportunity there for us to um, to sort of pull back the 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 lawn turf, pull back the pesticide use, pull back the concrete in places where we can, and just really reconnect and protect that city. I mean, you know, butterflies, bees, migrating animals need to travel over cities. And they need to have that habitat preserved there, um, and nature growing out of a city. And, and so so you know, you know, you mentioned, when you drink that glass of water, remember what it is. Remember what it that it is a living thing, that it's there to give us life, that it's there to interact with us. Um, what else would you suggest around just being an urban person in the city trying to reconnect with nature?
1: Um, one of the things that we do in our one of our programs in Digibaby um, is we is um, you know we work with with young people, and I remember one year we had just um, five and six year old kids it was about ten years ago, and um, uh, my daughter Suzanne designed this program, and she bought like a ceramic pot, clay pot um, for each of the, the youth and they had the teachings and, um, and, uh, and then at some point they painted their pot, um, and, uh, you could see on the pot, like what they had absorbed from the teachings, like, um, you know, they had the directions, they had, um, love, they had plants, they had, yeah, then they, then they, they planted, um, you know, cilantro and uh, jalapenos and uh, tomatoes mm-hmm. in their pot you know it's a good sized pot and um, and then one of the lessons was um, we taught the youth how to make um, salsa mm-hmm. and um, so once they took their pot home and you know many of them were from little earth and from lived in apartments and but their pot could still grow. Um, they could still put it on the on that step or on the deck. Or, um, and and once um, you know the, the the cilantro and the tomatoes and the jalapenos grew, they could make salsa, which is very different than you know the the lone bean plant um, that uh, kindergarten or so first graders make. You know, yeah, you that bean stock and then, you know and what do you do mm-hmm. with it mm-hmm. but this was actually something that they would know what to do with and I think you know like everybody should grow something because even if it's herbs in your mm-hmm. window um you know at my, ha- at my little house in, in Highland um you know we had cedar uh trees outside and um mm-hmm. so we were always able to provide um cedar for people that needed it and for ourselves and and we had raspberries um, that grew alongside the house, and they actually came from my neighbor uh, many, many years ago. And he asked me, he said, Sharon, do you want me to come and get rid of them? And I'm like, Oh no! And um, and you know, the grandkids would come over, and they would you know love it when the raspberries were ripe to have their little cup or their bowl and and pick raspberries. And um, and in the backyard, we had a raised garden bed where we grew, um, you know. Tomatoes, um, and cilantro, um, and, mm-hmm. eat, and, and we grew tobacco, we grew tobacco since 2000. And, um, you know, uh, had a little pond in the backyard and mm-hmm. the kids, uh, me and my granddaughter dug the, dug the hole for it. And, um. I had found, uh, you know, the plastic liner at a at a garage sale, and it was pretty good size. And we had, you know, some plants in there, and um, and uh, you know, so even though we had a little small lot, you know, we had so much on that yeah. on that on that little piece of land, um, yeah. um, you know, growing, and um, and in the winter, you know, the the cedar you know, house a couple cardinals. So mm-hmm. nature is all around us, um, no matter where we are. And uh, we just mm-hmm. have to, you know, be open our eyes and, um, uh, to see it. And in the front, you know, I had had a um, little sculpture garden, um, from rocks that, you know, I found on the North shore or in Montana or, you know, the, and, um, uh, you know, that's still there. My brother used to laugh about it. uh he's, he's my mini Stonehenge. But, you know, those rocks reminded me, you know, I was put down tobacco. But those rocks, you know, kept me connected to some of those places that I, that I really love. Um, uh, yeah. You know, the North Shore, like, you know, that's so beautiful. Um, or yeah. sometimes I just, you know, gather some... Um, rocks along um, the rivers um, we walked and so you know um, there's so many ways to connect whether you live in the city or you live in the country obviously in the country I'm not saying people are more connected there because you know mm-hmm. in the country people can also be just as um, yeah. you know it's just um, work um, yeah. but um uh you can be connected wherever you are, and I think just you know, like I say, everybody should grow something um, because um, you learn so much, whether it's flowers or um, or herbs or, or food. Um, you know, we have two gardens here where I am now, and um, one is my own vegetable garden, and then the larger garden is where we grow. Of produce for the indigie baby foods, but we also mm-hmm. um, last year we tapped the maple trees, and these trees probably haven't been tapped maybe ever. Um, lots mm-hmm. of hundreds of maples, and they're old, and and so you know, all of that is work. Um, all of that is 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 hard work, but you know, to have to taste your own maple syrup is um, mm-hmm. is really something, and. Um, so,
0: well, and although it's work, it, it, it you, well, there's this new term called pre-traumatic stress going around. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's 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 related to climate change and sort of the expected um, crisis that's surrounding us and that is coming up. Um, and a lot of folks doing planetary healing work are talking about, you know, one of the best things. To help deal with pre-traumatic stress is work. Is getting out there, getting your hands dirty, uh, planting a garden, connecting with water, going out and listening to the birds, going out and you know identifying what tree is in your front yard or in your park down the street. And although it's work, there's something really satisfying and meaningful about the work. And I, I wonder if you feel the same. If it helps you deal with some of the grief and the loss
1: around our climate crisis. I, you know, I think you know, sometimes humans just intuitively um, know um, what to do and really, you know, can um, take care of themselves because um, Mm -hmm. last year um, you couldn't find a canning jar anywhere. You couldn't find Mm -hmm. a mason jar or lids or anything and and um, and so I, I know the not this summer the summer before so many people were yeah. um, growing foods and in, in, in canning and taking care of that and you know we not only did some um a uh, little bit of canning but we also um dehydrated uh, we dried um you know uh, apples mm-hmm. from our apple tree um, same thing this year um so I think people intuitively know what they need and um, and c- can go about doing that if they listen to themselves.
0: That's that's a really great point, and I totally agree. Yeah, I, I do think, you know, we are programmed with those instincts inside of us. And just because we've been raised in this culture that has, you know, valued dominance and isolation over connections doesn't mean that it's not still in there and that we don't really need each other and, you know, each other being every aspect of life on this planet. Yeah. You know, speaking of that, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, we are at this point where many of us have lost this sense And belief about what holds the fabric of our society together, and we are struggling, right? Um, You know, from from where I'm coming from, from it, from a mental health perspective, I see it leads to apathy and avoidance in taking actions around healing our our climate, our planet, Um, and it's holding us up from healing ourselves. Um, You know, as as I was. Learning a little bit about you, I um, heard you talk about your grandmother and how much she loved you and how her love was contagious, um, and also how she had experienced a lot of grief and loss, but that didn't make her become bitter or give up. You know, I, I think grandmothers and aunties are really important, and as we've sort of lost our connection to nature, we've also lost our connection to each other. Um, I recently was hearing um, some folks in India talk about uh, grandmothers and aunties and sort of the power that they that they hold, the way they hold our society together. Um, you know, indigenous folks have known this for a long time, but I think mainstream culture has really forgotten this. And now you're a grandmother, Sharon, right? And it looks like you hold a lot together. Um. I'm wondering what you learned from the lessons um, of your grandmother's love and and how we can use these lessons to help us work through this planetary crisis. Like, uh, how do we build back up and hold back up that grandmother and that auntie energy in the world? Especially if those of us maybe didn't have that connection to a grandmother or an auntie or the connection was broken because of, um, trauma can you just spend a little time talking about what it's like to be a grandmother what you learn from yours and how we can build more of that in our communities
1: well you know I have um I have my own biological grandchildren um but I also have um you know all of these uh youth that that we've worked with over the years in the Etiquan uh youth program and um and i think um, you know providing them with um, knowledge is one thing um, sharing mm-hmm. with them what what you know um, you know when our kids come into the um, they start their day um, you know they, they gather themselves into a circle and somebody gets the sage and somebody else grabs the tobacco and they go around the circle and they smudge and distribute the tobacco and then they begin and um, and all of our youth programs begin this way they begin with the tobacco mm-hmm. Ceremony every single time, and it's an opportunity for them um, to share who they are. And when I started this program thirty years ago, um, you know, I had to, um, I had to um, really go to people and say, "Can your can your kid come in this program?" I needed six. <laughs> and struggle to get six, and um, you know now we, a lot of you, we don't have to do recruitment. You know the kids want to come, and mm-hmm. you know so I think it's really important to share like cultural knowledge with them. Um, some of them have names now. Um, they all know where they're from. They can introduce themselves in the language. Um, yeah. and they and they can sing. Um, mm-hmm. You know they've all. Everyone that's wanted a hand drum has made a hand drum um, they sing um, they know some of our our stories um, and you know it's not just being a grand- grandmother to my to my kids my grandkids mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. to be that figure I think for for all of these youth that come through the program and and you know, I love these kids Um, and we don't we can't we don't save all of them and you Mm -hmm. know it's kind of sad to know that sometimes it's that the kid that we lost that you know you um, really grieve over Mm -hmm. and I have to remind myself you know like um, the ones that are still here you know they they the ones that are still here you know they 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 still need that attention and that caring and um, and, and 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 not to um, you know to to pay attention to the ones that are doing well as well um, you know uh, but I think giving them as much information as we can teaching them songs um, mm-hmm. that's um, you know a lot of these kids they participate in so many things um, you know I made a story for them based on one of our cultural stories uh, to do storytelling uh, Monday night at Bellwin it's be a big fire and Delwyn Conservancy and, uh, and, you know, you know, those stories are going to live on in them and, um, yeah. Um, so giving them knowledge, but then also the, the space, um, to put, put those things into practice and that's what I see, um is yeah. so um, so important for these, for these young people today and to give them the opportunity every day when they're able to speak in that tobacco ceremony, it's their time to say what's going on with them. You know, that's how we got through George Floyd, that's how we're getting through COVID. Um, yeah. And allowing these young people every day the opportunity to say, to process what's going on with them because this is how we're not going to end up with um, people 40 years from now with PTSD. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's a good point. And 40 years from now, they'll be the, the aunties and the uncles and the grandparents, right? So really giving them something to look forward to. And I really like how you see being a sort of a, a grandmother and an auntie as it's not just about your biological family. It's about the community that you live in and being this, this web for them to catch them when they're, you know, when they're falling and also really boost them up. Maybe when they're not falling, like don't forget the ones that aren't really struggling too. Everybody needs to get that. Everybody needs to be seen in that way. that's beautiful. Um, You know, I just, I wanted to talk about grief a little bit more. Um, We are here because life on earth is struggling. Um, We're reconciling this planetary crisis that we've created. And it's really our main work in our generation, in our children's generation. Um, And... Again, where I'm coming from this is the first step in this process is in coming back alive emotionally in order to heal. starts with grief. Um, Grief of how isolated and degraded we've made life, and there's a lot of grief to feel. And grief is cyclical. You know, grief is like compost for a garden. It makes room for fresh starts. I mean, what I hear you saying about your... Healing groups with children is you're giving them a space to just really get used to feeling those feelings in a you know a safe, a managed way, so that when they're grown ups, um, they're not living in this cycle of trauma. Um, you know, grief makes room for joy, innovation, healing. Uh, it's when we give up this old world story of dominance and survival of a few at the cost of many. Um, Sharon, it really seems like you understand how to address planetary healing work in a complicated way. Um, You know, you model how nature isn't just plants, rocks, and water, although it is those things too. But like your love and care for queer culture, your protectiveness and work towards human rights for people with HIV and AIDS, Your love and respect for the living non-human people that are nature, for your indigenous culture, and your family. It's all a part of the grieving and healing process. And like your grandmother, you've had grief too. And our future will bring more for all of us. How do you balance the cycles of grief and joy? And how do you not get stuck in emotional apathy? I mean, you, you just talked a little bit about that and how you help children sort through that and maybe your own way is similar but can you talk a little bit about how you as a planetary healing worker doesn't get
1: don't get stuck i think um sometimes the hardest thing is to just let yourself feel it Mm -hmm. and um and it's not a one-time thing you know, I think grief um, you know it it, it comes it comes in waves and um, and uh, you know we have to let ourselves feel that and then and then go on and um, and I think it's the. Running away from it, um, not allowing yourself to feel it, you know it. It um, it doesn't go away, yeah. and that's you know what leads people to, um, you know, um, abusing um, alcohol or drugs, or you know people trying to um, put a bandaid over something that really needs to, you know, to be able to be cleaned out and, um, you know, like any wound, um, and then I think also like, you know, my daughter called me last night and she said, is there really, you know, is there really, um, that place that we go to when we die that is, is a better world? What if there isn't? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, all I can tell you is, um, you know, in our teachings, our teachings say there is. But also, you know, um, when Papa Jay died, um, my grandson was about six years old.
0: Mm-hmm. And...
1: And he told me that he had a dream about him. And he said in his dream, um, so when Papa Jay died, he was in a wheelchair, and before that, a walker, and before that, a cane. You know, and we would go to powwows, and um, sometimes you could feel somebody looking at you. You know, and so you scan the area, and then more often than not, he would be under a tree someplace either standing or in his chair or with his walker. And he would just be, he would have spotted us and he would be smiling. Mm -hmm. And um, then of course we would go to him. And uh, Kirby said that when Papa Jay died, he had that dream about him. And he said, in my dream, um, we were at a powwow and Papa Jay was standing under a tree, but he was, he didn't have a wheelchair. He, he, looked, he looked like young and he was standing like uh, he was healthy and um, so I told her that and also you know one of my mothers um, Lillian when she lost her husband she she put tobacco out and said I want to see what it's like and in her dream she said everything was so beautiful. The grass was so green, and the trees were so beautiful, and and there were flowers. and And she said, you know, um, that same thing that Kirby had. That you know, Kendall was healthy, and and um, her brothers. She had, they were there together, and they were. You know they were doing something, and um, and she said so. She was so grateful to have that. That's what she asked for—a glimpse mm-hmm. of what it looked like. And I think, you know, when we lose somebody, it's it's really hard. Um, but you know, in our teachings, they say that you know we. You know, we come from the spirit world, and um, everything's a circle. And when we go back, you know, we go back to that spirit world, and that's a better, you know, that they call it the land of everlasting happiness. And so, I think, you know, to to know those those teachings, and even in the, that ceremony. Um, you know, when they give instructions to that person, they're telling them where to go, and what, what they're going to see and what they're going to do. And, and you know, that teaching is so similar to other people's teachings across the globe. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, and many, many times, you know, there's that image of, you know, this uh, river. Um and um, And so I think you know there is all of our teachings are true and um, you know, to have faith that um, even though like we miss them so much, our relatives are, you know, they are um, maybe finding the happiness that, that might have eluded them in this, in this realm, yeah
0: it's almost like what you're saying is you know leaving this world resolving grief um they're kind of similar like it's about being the person that you are underneath all the layers of loss and change and And, uh, you know, when you first started talking about grief, how grief is work and it's repetitive and it comes in waves, you know, I just saw you walking across that crusty ice as a little kid, you know, and sounds like the water's been teaching you how to grieve (laughs) your whole life. And there is something really powerful about, you know, repetitive work as humans and to take to find the lessons in that, to find the teachings in that, um, and to apply those in moments where life can feel really hard, like where grief gets really thick and sticky. And so, you know, it sounds like you've been um, really studying grief your whole life and are able to put it to practice now. I. I was hearing uh, Francis Wheeler, a, a person that does a lot of writing on rituals and grief, um, was talking about how, how we were meant to be, by the time we're grandparents, is we're supposed to be experts at grief. Like, we're supposed to be able to usher the youth, young people, younger generations, um, through hard moments. And um, it sounds like you've had a lot of experience in how to do
1: that. Well, I think I've had a lot of experience, you know, as as a a native person, you know, um, and some of those, you know, people in our in my family that have died, you know, they 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 were murdered and yeah. um, lost a niece a couple of years ago to gunshot, um, and uh, you know the police in that little town ruled it as a suicide. But, you no, know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. You know, women don't shoot themselves through the heart. No. Um, you know, women don't commit suicide that way. But, yeah. you know, so some of that grief gets compounded, I think, as indigenous people because people have been stolen from us, people have been taken from us. Absolutely. and And that, you know, I mean, there's such this, this big you know, um, epidemic of missing and murdered Indian women and relatives. Every day, you know, across my feed, you know, there's another picture of a of, you know, yesterday there was a a young young girl from Bemidji area that was missing. And so I mm-hmm. think our grief gets compounded by that and, and really I, I think that um you know I probably spent most of my life running from grief mm-hmm. and um, and I and I think some something about like um, coming uh, to terms with your own mortality uh, mm-hmm. you know really helps you to kind of think about it in a different way and I in in terms of the earth you know. The Earth has cleansed herself you know um, in our teachings at least four times, and we may be in the midst of that right now. We don't know, yeah. but if we are, you know the Earth will continue and and and, and maybe um, and, you know humans will will learn something I don't know, but yeah. um, but you know, in our, in our, and also in our teachings, you know, they say like, you know, you know, put your tobacco out every day, um,
0: yeah.
1: And you know, and I myself don't do this. Um, I, 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 I do put it out when, um, when I'm in ceremony or, um, or you know, when I'm doing something. Um, somebody asked for prayers the other day and. So I, you know, I lit my sage and put my tobacco in it and promptly set the smoke alarm off. You know, we do have, you know, we do have um, teachings, we do have ceremonies, and the more we practice them, you know, the better, the better off we are. But the earth um, will survive. Um, Mm -hmm. no doubt about that Um, whether you know humans do um, you know that's that's uh, some will um, that's questionable Mm -hmm. you know like because you know we can't quite get it like even, even after last night you know everybody this morning on Facebook was talking about climate change but tomorrow they'll forget about it, you know, and that's, the more people we can get to like, um, um, you know, we don't want people to be panicked, but we want people to be alarmed and to begin to do something, Um, you know, why we couldn't end line three, you know, why couldn't we end line three in Minnesota, the land of 10,000 lakes, you know, that we're continuously despoiling all the time. you know, through um, every minute of every day, you know, there's um, yeah. fertilizer, you know, um, yeah. running off into our rivers and streams. And nobody wants to talk about the farmers, um, yeah. you know, sort of like it's a handoff because, you know, because we believe the lie that they're feeding the world. You know, they're not feeding the world. Um, no. um, so, um, but it's a way to hold them. Um, unaccountable and yeah. um, so there's so much work that people have to do it's not just being reconnected to na- nature but when people come with me on the walks the walk is just the beginning and then I ask them now what are you going to do every mm-hmm. day from this day forward you know what are you going to do um, so um, you know so we you know like You know, when we learn new things, uh, it doesn't mean anything unless we begin to put it into practice, unless we begin to um, make that become part of a new behavior. You know, and and then if we can do that enough, you know, we may achieve some kind of wisdom. But um, knowledge itself is nothing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, that's I think that's what the. The work is for humans is how we know we know so much. I mean, we're constantly bombarded with statistics and facts. And, you know, at this point, even us in the Midwest sees the impacts of climate change. I mean, just yesterday we had a, a tornado watch in the middle of December. Um, so it it is being able to take all this knowledge we have and actually like let it touch our hearts because it's not getting in there. Because if it was more... Um, like you said, line three wouldn't be so easy. We wouldn't have indigenous women missing every time you, you turn your feet on. Um, we wouldn't be, um, I mean, you know, not just planetary stuff, right? Like our planet based stuff, we wouldn't see police killing black men. Uh, so it, it, it is really something that needs to change in our hearts, and and how do we how do we sort of shake our hearts back awake out of this old place? And and I think, you know, you mentioned a lot of things today, starting to behave differently on a daily basis, starting to um, not run from grief but to face it, uh, starting to really just. Come back awake and alive and and see the potential that we all have to make this change and i think that's that's the work that you exemplify you know that's the work we want to um learn to take on and do ourselves and sharon i really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this today it was really great good thank you yeah thanks yeah. so much I appreciate it. Today we met with Sharon Day, a planetary grandmother. Folks like her are a big part of what weaves the fabric of our communities together, which is a big theme we're seeing in planetary healing work, togetherness. Sharon shared her story about growing up in nature and being so intimately together She came to appreciate hard work as a way that she loved nature back for all of the love nature gave her freely. Just like she walked for her water across the sparkling, snow-crusted northern Minnesota landscape as a child, she walks for all of our water today and leads the Nibi walks, which is the Anishinaabe word for water. She learned from nature's love and the relationship they built together. Like she shows the water care, she takes care of a community of human people too, where she works with young folks by telling stories and giving them the space to practice what it means to belong. She says this is how they're getting through COVID, and it's also how they're getting through the racial injustice. This is how she believes that the kids in her community won't have PTSD 40 years from now. She noted that sometimes the hardest thing is just to let yourself feel grief, to get to the point where you give up running. Sharon expressed this work of giving up and giving in and how it took her a long time to get there. But avoiding it is what leads to the numbness, addiction, and mental illness. And you just gotta get to cleaning out the wounds. She noted how easy it is for humans to forget climate change. She said this is why line three couldn't be stopped and why pesticides and farming are rampant all across our country. Why in a land with so much water are too few of us working to protect it. Just like water leads us through the landscape, emotions guide us through our internal landscape. And this podcast is a practice of navigating our emotional travel towards planetary healing. She suggested a simple thing to practice. No matter how distant we may have found ourselves in nature in the moment, when you take that first drink of water each day, say thank you. Because that water is the reason every single one of us is alive. That water you drink is nature at its most loving center. Did listening today bring up a desire to belong? Do you have ideas on how to do this work in ways you already are in the world or ways you feel really stuck? How do you connect in this planetary moment with the life around you? I would love to hear from you. Send a voice note or write me an email at loveletters2planetearth at gmail.com. This address has the number two for two. If you would like to donate to support this podcast and practice, please donate today on my website at www.loveletters2planetearth.com. This address has the word "to." T O. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you next time on Love Letters to Planet Earth.